everyone, this is James from mkiaudio.tk and welcome back to episode 13 of the mkiaudio podcast. So this is episode 13, the unlucky episode, so everything's probably going to go wrong in this one, so stick with me and we'll try and struggle through it. You can follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash mkiaudio and also on Twitter at mkiaudio. You can head over to the blog where I usually try and post maybe three to four articles a week. Um, it might be mixing tips, recording tips, or just general workflow um, ideas. So I try to change it up a little bit every time. So head over there. You can find that at mkiaudio.tk. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to receive every new episode I do uh, automatically. It magically appears in your podcast uh, catcher. Uh, while you're there, you can also rate and review the podcast to help other people find it. And you can head over to mkiaudiopodcast.tk and there you'll find show notes and comments and past episodes if you want to download them. So if you have anything to say about any of these episodes, head over there and leave your comments. So that's the science bit out of the way. Let's jump into the show. Okay, before we get into today's segment, I want to talk a little bit about um, gear. It doesn't happen very often, but uh, I received a few emails last week and one again this week from Focusrite, and they have released three new audio interfaces, so I thought they were worth a mention on the show. Uh, I don't have any of them uh, as yet. The first one I want to talk about is the Forte. Now... This is probably one of the most unusual uh, audio interfaces you'll see about, but it's a USB 2 interface. And the difference with this one is, to look at, it looks a little bit like a, a big VRM box with a screen on it. It's just one knob, and um, that knob can be, as a multifunctional knob, you can use it for, um, to perform different tasks. It also has a little screen there where it, you can have your monitor controls on it, but you can also a touch screen. You can also use that as a DAW controller. So you can use it for your, all your transport controls on your DAW. Um, looking at it initially, it looks a little bit strange because it doesn't have your standard sort of quarter inch jack and XLR inputs in it. There is actually a connector or a breakout cable style thing comes with it and it plugs into the back of it and that's where all your IO is. So you can plug all your mic leads and guitar leads and anything else you have into that breakout cable and that uh, allows you to get your sound into the interface. The next one I want to talk about is the iTrack Solo. Now this is a a little interface that looks a little bit like the Focusrite Scarlett 2i2 and uh, it's made... um, mainly for the iPad. So it has an iPad connection on the back of it, uh, which allows you to uh, plug that into the back of the interface and then into the 30-pin connector on the bottom of the the iPad. Um, like I say, similar functionality to the 2i2. Only difference really is that it's phono outputs on the back rather than the quarter-inch um, jack outputs. It also has a USB 2 connection in the back of it, so you can plug it into your Mac or PC or laptop or MacBook or whatever you're using. So it is quite a multifunctional little interface. Um, the last one I want to talk about, which is actually the one I think they've just released this week, and that's the Focusrite Scarlett 2i4. 
So this is the big brother of the 2i2 which I have and basically what they've done to it is it's still the same two inputs um, on the front of the unit however they've added MIDI I.O. on the back and also they've added four um, RCA line outputs so I think this is aiming more towards uh, DJs and stuff that we're plugging mixers into it uh, it still has the quarter inch jack outputs on the back for, to run to your studio monitors um, but say those uh, phono outputs and the MIDI I.O. are really the only differences between that and the the 2i2 so go and have a look at them if you're in the market for a new interface I'm not sure on prices at the minute or when they are actually released as far as I know they're out now but uh, let's say I haven't found anything on pricing yet uh, so go and check them out I definitely have a look at the Forte it seems to be well one it looks amazing but that DAW controller functionality built into an interface rather than having to have um, an actual controller sitting there in front of you it's handy it's not the most um, highly functional piece of equipment you'll have but those simple transport controls alone can be very handy um, so say so you can have it sitting there in the simple you know play stop pause record uh, there is other functionality built in that you can control on the DAW. I think you can select tracks, etc., to record to. But all they have, um, as usual with Focusrite, they've plenty of product demo videos up on uh, YouTube. So go over to their, I think it's Focusrite TV, their YouTube channel is called. Go over there and have a look at it. Um, and definitely, if you're out in the market for a new interface, I would strongly have a look at those three. They're maybe not the highest um sort of the most inputs and outputs that you would need but if you're starting off and you're looking for a decent quality uh interface with decent preamps focus right preamps are generally quite good so have a look at them they may be your thing they may not but i thought i would throw them in there anyway so let's go ahead and jump into the main segment today and what we're talking about today is aux tracks buses and sends. I'm going to start off with the aux tracks and the buses and explain a little bit about what they are and then sends will sort of filter in at the end of it all. So I may have dug myself into a bit of a hole with this one because depending on what DAW you use or if you're still working in the analog realm what console you're using um, if you're experienced enough to have a console, I severely doubt you're listening to my podcast. So we'll concentrate on DAWs. Depending on what DAW you're using, um, whether it's Pro Tools, uh, Cubase, PreSonus, Studio One, or even Audacity, I don't even know if they have buses or aux tracks, but these tracks are known as different things in different DAWs, and sometimes they have different functionality as well. So really all I can do is go on what I'm using at the minute, and that is PreSonus Studio One. Um, I did a little bit of research into this to see what some of the rest of them refer to them as and they seem to be quite similar um, so I'll give you a sort of broad overview of what they are and then you can go into your own DAW, look them up and generally you can figure out what category they fit into so an aux track is basically an audio track that doesn't actually hold audio so there we are, we'll start off with the contradiction anyway it uh, has all the same functionality. You can um, input a signal into it. Uh, you can add inserts to it. 
And in Presona Studio One, uh, the only difference between the aux and the bus is the fact that you can't actually create a send from the aux track to anything else. So um, on an aux track, you can add all your effects and you can output that to your main um, sort of your main master fader, or you can output it to another bus. But you can't actually create a pre or post fader send from your sends menu. A bus track has the same functionality as an aux track, so you can input a signal into it. Uh, you can add inserts or effects to it, but you can also send it out to another aux track or another bus um, and then alter it that way. Uh, it also has a fader, you know, volume control and all the, the usual functionality of a track. They say the only difference between the two is that an aux track can't create a send and a bus can. Now, the reason I say this is pretty uh, dependent on your DAW. Well, I used to use um, Adobe Audition 3.0. Um, now, uh, the only reason I used it was because I was always used, years ago, whenever I was in a band, we recorded it with uh, good old Cool Edit Pro. And Adobe Audition was sort of the follow-on from that. So Adobe Audition didn't have aux tracks or pre-sonus column effects tracks, but technically they're aux tracks. Pre, uh, Adobe Audition only had buses, and then the buses had all the same functionality. You could create sends to them, you could send from them, you could add inserts to them. So it depends what DAW you're using, whether they have both available. Some will have only one available, i.e. Audition only has the buses. Not sure about newer versions, but the 3.0 I was using only had buses. So that's a rough explanation and if you want to find out more about it, head over to Gearslots, type in what's the difference between a, a bus and an aux track and spend a week reading through the different explanations. Um, I say there is a lot of stuff on Gearslots about it because to me, whenever I started off, it was one of the things that really confused me. Um, about routing in within a session and knowing what to send where and whether to send it pre-fader or post-fader or what even pre-fader and post-fader was uh but say after a while you sort of get to know it and you realize that the reason you do all this writing is to save yourself time so there are a couple of reasons why i think writing is so important um at its most basic i would say it's more of a workflow issue uh, having certain things uh, maybe grouped together or uh, applying effects to certain maybe you have all your drum tracks and you want to alter them all but instead of going through every single track adding a certain reverb or a certain compressor or any effect at all well you can group them all together in one drum bus and apply one plugin to that um, bus and it saves processing power. You're not running seven different uh, reverb plugins. You're running one reverb plugin and still getting the same um, sound out of it. So it saves performance that way. It saves um, on time because if you can adjust the entire drum mix uh, with one fader rather than having all the individual faders having to pull them down at once or uh, grouping them all together and dragging them all down. It just makes it that little bit easier once you have uh, one fader for your drums, maybe one fader for your guitar. 
you could broaden it out even to have one fader for vocals and one fader for music. You know, it, there's different stages of writing, and maybe at the start you'll start off with the most basic ones, but you will find new ways to use writing and new ways to make it uh, help you out within a session or make a session go a lot faster. The more um, technical side of things would be that you need to learn writing to use certain techniques, so such as uh, parallel processing or um, the like, well, parallel compression, and there's just there's different techniques that require a certain writing setup uh, to do properly or to do well. You can usually bluff your way around it and try different things and get somewhere close to the same outcome, but generally it'll take a lot more moves than just creating a send to an aux track and that's your instant double and then uh, processing that double and uh, blending it back in with the original track for parallel processing that is so i would advise if you're only starting off and mixing or even if you've been at it for a while but you have never really played around with writing Go and sit down with one of your sessions and just create sayings and create groups and aux tracks and buses and just if, by playing around with them you'll figure out what they do really. Now I am going to put a video on along with this podcast the same as I done last week uh, to explain a little bit about uh, sayings. So I'll talk about sayings now but if you want to see the actual hands-on version you can head over to the YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash mkaudio and i'll have the video up there it'll be titled um pre-fader and post-fader sayings and it'll explain a little bit about them but uh i'll go back to the basics with this what is a send well a send is basically uh from your main track let's say you have a guitar track um you go into your sends menu and you would either send that out to an aux track or a, a bus and this is just sending a duplicate copy of that uh, track to an aux track or a bus track now it doesn't create a separate wave file or another wave file that's the same as the original it simply rewrites it through an aux track or a bus so it saves a little bit of space on your uh, hard drive you're not having to duplicate wave files wave files can be quite hefty if you're uh, recording at a high quality rate so let's uh, say you just rewrite them through and it creates a duplicate copy but it's not an actual new file so like i mentioned before about the pre-fader and post-fader um sends this basically means whether the volume on the original channel affects the volume on the the aux or the bus um the audio playing through it so a pre-fader send takes a copy of the uh, signal before it hits the fader hence the name pre-fader so the original track the, whether you move the fader up or down or have it muted it won't affect the sound that's playing through the aux track a post-fader send takes it after the fader so if you uh, have it sent out to an aux track and you have your uh, original track set at 0 dB, well then, provided the send is set to 0 dB, you will have a full volume replica in your aux track. If you turn your original track down or off or mute it, 
there will be nothing playing out through your aux track because there's nothing coming after the fader in the original track. Um, this is the reason why I wanted to create the video because it's kind of hard to explain without actually seeing it or being able to point to something or show you exactly what I mean. So head over to YouTube and watch the video um, on that now. So maybe to explain it a bit more I could give you an example. Um, an example of when you would use a pre-fader send would be to create a duplicate copy of a track. So we'll use, it's quite commonly used on kick drums. So let's say you want to add a parallel compression to your kick drum. Well you would create a send on your original kick drum track and it would be a pre-fader send to an aux track. So uh, once you have that send set up and you have it set to 0dB, so sending a full volume copy of the track to your aux track, you hit the play button and both those tracks will be playing at the same volume. And so then you would add your compression to that aux track. Um, sometimes, usually with if you're doing parallel compression, you can push the compression a little bit harder than what you would if you were just adding it to a normal um, audio track because you still have all that clarity of the original track and then the heavily compressed sound of the aux track. So because it's a pre-fader sound, you can control the volume of the aux track independently to the original track. So you would set your volume on your original track to where you like it, then pull the fader of the aux track right down and slowly bring it up until you get a blend that you like. Um, so say that would be an, an example of a pre-fader send. A post-fader send would be if you're using global effects. Well, this is the way I do it anyway. Maybe some people use it slightly different. But if I have a reverb channel set up um, and it's a channel that I can send anything to that I want to have a reverb effect on it, I would generally send... The original track will use a guitar here. I have a guitar track and I want to send it to have a little bit of reverb on it. I would send that post fader um, because the post fader send means as you pull down the fader on the original track, it reduces um, the amount of volume going to the aux track or the reverb track in this situation. So if you had that set up as a pre-fader send, whenever you pull down the volume in the guitar track, it's still sending the same volume out to the, the reverb track. So you could end up with a very quiet guitar, but the reverb's still at that louder volume, and you're hearing more of the reverb and less of the normal guitar. Once you find a balance uh, using the send of where you want um, sort of the reverb to clean tone ratio, you can then set that to post fader and that means whenever you pull down the the original guitar track fader it will adjust the amount of reverb that's playing back as well in conjunction with that volume fader so i'll explain that in the video as well just just stop the podcast and go and watch the video so that's a rough idea of what uh bosses are or what aux tracks are and what you can use them for uh, it's a very rough idea of what sends are, but like I say, I'll explain the video. Remember, go and see the video. Uh, so I'll quit while I'm ahead. Um, anybody that hasn't gone to watch the video, we're going to move on to the my advice section now.
Okay, my advice this week is go and watch the video. No, I'm only joking. My advice is again to do with uh, sands and ox tracks and bosses. Oh, why did I do it to myself? I told you this was episode 13. It was all going to go horribly wrong. Podcasting career's over. Right. My advice is whenever you're using a pre-fader sand to create a duplicate track, so maybe if you weren't using sands before, you would simply have copied the original track and copied that into another audio track, you would have two tracks playing. If you're using a pre-fader send which creates a full volume copy remember uh i'll explain it on the video well then my advice is to output both those tracks so your original track and your aux track into one bus so both signals are running into one bus which means you have one fader to control the volume of both those tracks uh the reason behind this is if you're using it for parallel compression, for example, you have set the volume of your original track and you've brought up your aux track and set the the blend the way you like it. So you have just the right amount of compressed sound coming through and just the right amount of dry signal coming through. So then if you uh, get further on your mix and you realize you want to uh, raise the volume of the kick drum that you're using the parallel compression on, well, then you have to grab both those faders and adjust them by the same amount and maybe if it's a little bit louder it doesn't quite work right but if you have them all sent to one bus then you have one fader that will keep that balance between the two tracks but you can increase them both on that one single fader so output them now this isn't a send this is the output so instead of outputting to your master fader you output them to the bus um call it a kick drum bus if you're using it on a kick drum so the signal is coming from the original track and the aux track into the drum bus and then the drum bus outputs to the master fader um so it keeps it simple you can uh if you're using automation or you're not really going to automate a kick drum well you might but you generally don't so let's say if you're doing it for a guitar, so you have uh, your original uh, guitar track, your aux track, which is created by a send, they output into the bus, and then the bus sends out to the master fader. But if you want to use automation on that guitar to turn it up and down through uh, verses or choruses, you don't want to have to go in and automate both those tracks. So if you have one track, you can create uh, one automation uh, lane for that track and it applies it keeps the balance between them but it applies it to both the tracks so uh create buses and groups and again if you have 52 drum mics well then send all 52 of those drum mics to one bus and i call that the drum bus see it's simple it just it keeps things so much easier and you can once you get the balance right within the drums you can hide those 52 tracks of drum mics and have one fader there. You think, right, the drums need to go up a little. Grab that fader and add it up by 1 dB. You're not going through and affecting all the individual tracks. So uh, narrowing down the mix that way is such an easy way to get your head around routing. And it's a good place to start. Maybe don't start with parallel processing, but simply breaking everything down into subgroups and then uh, full groups 
uh, is the way I learned writing and then I went on and started messing about with parallel processing and uh, sort of full sayings and pre-fader sayings and post-fader sayings and it's all in the video, remember? Oh, I've stopped talking about the video. Right, that's it. The podcast's over. Um, head over to mkaiaudiopodcast.tk and tell me how terrible this episode was. And uh, if you have any other comments or questions about pre-fader sayings or uh, buses or aux tracks or even if you are using a different DAW to me, like I mentioned, I use PreSonus Studio One and their setup seems slightly different to Pro Tools from what I can see, but at the end of the day, it's all basically the same thing. So if you have a different DAW and you want to explain a little bit about how uh, your DAW works, uh, hit on to the comments section at mkaiaudiopodcast.tk and tell everybody about how yours works. Maybe your explanation will be a little better than mine. So that's it for this week's show. Um, come and talk to me on Twitter, on Facebook, on the blog. And until next week, keep recording, keep mixing and keep it simple.